Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Snowcast. I'm John Snow. And this week's guest is the actor Ruth Maidley. Ruth was born in West Horton and studied English and creative writing at university. She always wanted to work in the entertainment industry and thought that the path lay in script writing. Because Ruth was born with spina bifida, a condition which developed into scoliosis. And as an ambulatory wheelchair user, she just didn't see herself represented on screen. However, a work experience placement at the BBC led to an unexpected audition and Ruth fell in love with acting the very moment she joined the set. In 2016, she was BAFTA nominated for her leading role in Don't Take My Baby, a factual drama about a disabled couple's fight to keep custody of their newborn daughter. And the stage and television roles that followed included the Russell T. Davis drama Years and Years, most recently, Ruth is back on our screens in the BBC's biggest drama, Doctor Who, a show that celebrated its 60th anniversary with three specials. Let's step into the Hooniverse and find out more. Ruth, you were born and bred in West Horton, and you still live there today. Is it family that keeps you there, or is it very much the place as well? Uh, say, I am an Alphina through and through. In, in West Horton, we call ourselves Halfiners or Cowieds. If you're from there, you understand. But um, Well, deconstructed. <gasps> tell us what this means. Well, in the North, we have a lot of weird words, but I tell you something. So, Cowiet is actually Cowiehead. But legend has it that there was a farmer in West Orton and one of his cows got the neck caught in the fence and it was cheaper to cut the cow's head off than than replace the fence. Oh, my God. We're not all like that, I swear. But that's just a nice bit of brutality to start your podcast. 
But what a sad story. I know, terrible. I was so upset when I found that out when I was a child, when my mum and dad told me, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't like that at all. But no, West, West Orton has always been my home and mm. my family still lives here. So th- there is a massive pull family-wise. But at the same time, I think even if my family upped and moved and went somewhere else, West Orton and Bolton would always feel like home to me, definitely. Well, talking of family, you've described the charity WizKids as a second family. Can you tell me what they do and how you first crossed paths? Sure. So WizKids is a charity that provides bespoke mobility equipment for disabled children. And they bought me my first wheelchair when I was five years old. And they're just such a wonderful organisation. They don't just provide a wheelchair and say, have a lovely life. They are really there to help young disabled kids learn how to be independent and how to grow and establish all of the life skills that disabled children often come to late if they're not given the right equipment. So I feel very, very honoured that I've been a beneficiary of WizKids, then a volunteer, then an employee and now a patron. So I feel very, very lucky to have come full circle. At 17, you were given a Community Hero Award by your favourite football team in recognition of your fundraising efforts and the 11 GCSEs. I only got five, but there we are. (laughs) But you passed 11 after a succession of operations. Not that the operations were anything to do with getting those wonderful marks, but actually they should have hindered you getting them and you got them. They really should, yeah. I remember it really, really well. Me and my dad, we love going to Bolton Wanderers football matches. We go all the time. I've had season tickets for years now and it's proper dad and daughter time, which I love. But then to be given that award so young, I did have a really rough time, especially during my high school years. I was in hospital for spinal surgery, like on the year, every year. I'd had to do a lot of my coursework from my hospital bed and it, it was an incredibly proud moment to be able to get the grades that I got. And then also to have that recognised by my favourite football club. I mean, what a lovely thing. What a lovely memory to have. You don't feel, I must say, that uh, football is that inclusive. You know something? I think stadiums are getting a lot better. Ours is particularly great for access and we've just had a changing places toilet put in, so that's a very exciting thing. Oh, that's excellent. I know, I know. But so many clubs now are, are doing so much more, but it's the same as everything. It's money. And some of the smaller clubs that don't have the money to, you know, do up their grounds, it, it's hard. But it's always a nice experience as a wheelchair user going to going to our ground. Well, it's brilliant that you've played such an active part. Well, I hope so. I can I mean, I'd love to take all of the credit, but I'll, I'll take a very small percentage. <laughs> <laughs> now you're clearly very driven to succeed academically and pursue extracurricular fundraising while spending a lot of time in hospital. Did your parents? help foster this attitude? Yeah, I think um, me and my sister, my sister is three years older than me and she's non-disabled and we were brought up exactly the same. There was never any kind of activities that we couldn't do or didn't do because of my disability and that was carried into adulthood. I've always been incredibly driven and very, very stubborn (laughs) which um, I refuse to give up and I refuse to back down and yeah, I think a lot of that comes from my family in a wonderful way. I think in some ways it, it grates on them, <laughs> <laughs> especially now I'm older. But it's been something that I 
have always had in me and my sister's exactly the same so yeah definitely definitely a family thing but as a child what did you make of what had happened to you i was born with my disability so i went to a mainstream school and a mainstream primary mainstream secondary school and i always knew that i was different but at the same time i've been incredibly lucky to always have a really really strong friendship group and i genuinely didn't have any issue getting on with everything I, I do think a lot of that comes from the support that my parents made sure that I had in school and also my my determination to just be and just enjoy and have a really good time and I did I had a really lovely childhood so I think growing up as a disabled person you always have challenges and some of them are harder than others but I have been very lucky that I've had incredible people around me to help, especially when those times are particularly bad. It's clearly a combination of both you and your determination and your family and their determination. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all very much the same in that regard, definitely. You studied creative writing at university. When did you realise that you wanted to be a screenwriter and work in the television industry? I, I mean, I've always loved writing. My very first award, my very, very first award was at primary school for writing. So I think that was a good omen. From my favourite teacher, I got a writing award. But that must have been absolutely fabulous. Absolutely. It was wonderful just to be able to be a storyteller and loved character building and building scenes. But I didn't think about script writing until I went to university and I saw that that was an option on my degree. I fell in love with the process there, so much so that I... That was ended up being my major in my third year. I did always know that I didn't see people who looked like me growing up on screen. So I always knew that I wanted to be part of the change in helping to increase that. But I always thought that my contribution would be behind the camera. And I thought it would be through writing and, and nothing else. But the universe had other ideas. How inclusive was a university? I had a very, very good experience at Edge Hill University, just outside Liverpool. I loved, I loved my time there. It was absolutely wonderful. It was one of the campuses that was completely wheelchair accessible. So there was nothing from an access perspective that was a barrier. I had all the support I could wish for. I, um, I had a wonderful time. You described your move into acting as a happy accident. It wasn't something you'd considered doing. So how did you land your first professional role? I know, it was such a backwards way into the industry, but I kind of like that. I like that I didn't have a conventional route in. I was actually doing some work experience at the BBC at the time, and it was in the script editing team. And a producer I met said that they were casting for a CBBC drama down the hall in the same building. And they asked me to go because I was a wheelchair user. I was there. Might as well have a nosy and see what it's about. I told them, I said, I'm, I'm not an actor. They went, I'll just go and see what you think. And I completely fell in love with the adrenaline rush and the, the whole process of it. I didn't think I'd get the job. I just thought it's a great way to network and another string to the bow just to have a look and see how things are cast and how people choose the right actors for things. But yeah, I got, I got the role. And then when I went on set, it was then on set that I thought, oh, this is really, really, really cool. Can you tell me more about Don't Take My Baby? It came early in your acting career. 
Were you at all daunted reading the script, or was it a, a part that made you feel that you absolutely had to have it? A bit of both, really. So the the first job I got, the CBBC job, that was just a bit part in one episode of a children's drama. And I still didn't think that acting would be something that I would do. I just thought it'd be something on the side. But then my agent at the time had this script come through and it was Don't Take My Baby by Jack Thorne. And she said, if, if you get this role, everything will change for you. And I read it and I fell in love with the script. I mean, felt one, falling in love with Jack's writing because the man is an absolute genius. He, The way he writes is just so beautiful and heart-wrenching and, and all of those things. I was completely daunted, but I was so desperate to get that role. It was just, I'd never seen disabled characters written like that before. And it was a lead. It, it felt such an important story and I wanted to be part of that. And I was just really lucky that they trusted me with such a big storyline and something that was so important and very real. Well, now, Ruth, people can still watch this. Yeah. So just tell us something more about this particular drama. Sure. So it's still available on iPlay, which is very, very exciting. It is a real-life drama about two disabled people who have a baby and it's about social services involvement and whether or not they think that they're capable and fit enough to be able to raise the child safely based on their disabilities. The whole story came about from statistics that over 10,000 disabled people are investigated by social services every year purely because they're disabled and they have children. It's to see whether they are they can safely raise the child. And that doesn't mean that they've had any involvement of social services before. It's purely based on the fact that they're disabled, they've had a child, and based on a real couple who had this whole ordeal of, of finding out whether they were able to keep their child. Do you remember the moment when you found out that you'd been BAFTA nominated? Now, that's a huge honour in our industry, isn't it? Absolutely. I remember that as clear as day, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was my first lead. I was still, at the time, still working for the children's charity WizKids. So I was juggling acting and being a fundraiser for WizKids. So I had a lot going on. And when you find out you're nominated for a BAFTA, you find out with everyone else. So I found out by Twitter at the time. Mm. Um, I was on a train on my way to a read-through for my next acting job. And I found out from their announcement mm. that the piece was nominated, the drama was nominated, and that I'd been nominated as Best Actress. And I was flawed, completely flawed. I thought it was one of my friends playing a trick on me at one point. Well, you say we're in a railway carriage. I mean, did you announce it to the entire crew aboard? Well, the, I, th I think I ruined everyone's morning, John, because it was a quiet carriage. And <laughs> my phone was on silent and it just kept buzzing with all of these notifications. And my dad was with me and I I just burst out crying. And, and these poor people on the train thought something was wrong. I'm like, no. So my dad's telling everybody. I'm not sure how many people actually believed me, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, I, I just remember being so overwhelmed and desperate to get off the train and get some signal and ring pe people. <laughs> oh, how exciting, though. It was such a wonderful moment. I, I will never forget that moment for as long as I live. What do you think it meant to you? Do you think it meant, in a sense, that you had arrived and defied all the odds? You know something, I think now, as time's gone on, I kind of appreciate it even more because at the time 
I was so new to everything. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I knew it was huge and I was just really excited to kind of be in the room. But then at the same time, I think it was a few years later when I realized what a huge thing that was, especially for disabled actors looking on. Yeah, it was a real moment where I thought, okay, so people take me seriously. I'm actually an actor now. <laughs> you, you were also named one of BAFTA's breakthrough stars, but continued to balance acting jobs with a full-time job at WizKids. Yeah. <laughs> was it a difficult decision leaving the charity? It was, you know. I um, juggled it for so long, probably longer than I would have done, but I just didn't think that the roles would be there, especially because, you know, for, for so long, disabled actors had only been seen for disabled roles, you know, and I thought, there's just not going to be enough work and I've got a mortgage to pay. I need I need stability. And um, <laughs> But it was 100% the right time when I did go, but it was a really hard thing. It was scary. I was absolutely terrified to actually step away from a job that I loved and that provided me with a lot of stability to something that felt incredibly scary but also wonderful and it was 100% the right time to go um, but I, I, I still say to this day to the charity to everyone that I'll, when, I, when everything goes wrong I'll be coming back for a job so just keep my number in your phone don't ignore me <laughs> <laughs> Then Russell T Davis entered your world for anyone who's managed to escape his universe can you tell me about Russell and, and the work he'd created up to this point I think I must have the best luck ever to work with such great people and Russell is definitely one of those mm. he wrote a show called Years and Years uh, and his team saw me for one of the main roles in that drama and when I got the job we worked really well together professionally but also we became really good friends and I think I, I mean obviously I knew of his work is is just such an incredible writer. Everything he writes is just glorious. And to be able to work with him and, and know him as a friend has been an absolute joy. And then um, when he went back on Doctor Who, he, he took me with him. So best friendship ever. <laughs> <laughs> when the news broke that Russell was returning to Doctor Who, did you allow yourself to feel any hope about a future role before you knew you got one? No, and I never preempt I just messaged him and I just said have the best time and it's going to be really exciting and he said oh he, he always said oh Dar darling come with me come with me and I said oh I said I will gladly be there to make the tea if you'll have me and he just said no he said leave it with me leave it with me you know I'm taking you with me and then two weeks later I was in <laughs> tell me about Shirley Ann Bingham where does she belong in the Universe. So Shirley is the unit scientific advisor and oh, she's just great fun to play. She is so ballsy and she's so confident and she's so good at her job. She's just a really fun, confident, sassy character to play who gives the doctor a run for his money. And She's she's been a real real joy to share with the world. She really has. What was the first scene that you filmed, and was it, was it a big deal to be on the Doctor Who set? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, I remember going for the read through for the episodes for the specials, and 
it was then you I mean you know it's such a huge show it's got such a legacy but I think it was when we went for the read through and it was just this incredible room filled with these incredibly talented people and then I was very very lucky I got sat next to David Tennant in the read through and it it was that moment was like okay this is absolutely huge and then my first scene that I filmed was with David it was a night shoot it was my first scene just us two what what a brilliant introduction into that world I I feel very very lucky there are also deliberate references to disability to inclusivity not least the accessible TARDIS that arrives in episode three. I mean, that that's absolutely amazing in a mainstream show like this. Yeah. What's the reaction been like? It's been absolutely wonderful. I think that's one of the great things about Russell is he listens to what certain groups of people really need. And, and I think disability is something that he has... It's been such a champion of, especially working with myself. He's he's really listened to things that are important to the disabled community. And one of the things was the access and the reaction from kids who are watching it now, but also people who watched it as kids who are wheelchair users and say, oh my goodness me, I've been waiting years for this. It was a really special moment. And I, I am so, so honoured to have been part of that reveal and that moment in history, I feel very, 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 very honoured. Well, you obviously did play quite a key role in, in educating him. It was, you know something, he, um, I think when we worked on Years and Years, we, we had such great conversations about disability and access and things that have been left out of TV for so long that when we came to do Doctor Who, it was seamless. It was just like he knew. He knew because we talked about it for so long and he'd listened to what people had said online and in forums and things. And we all just knew that this was a really precious moment. So there's such a great opportunity to really make a statement about inclusivity and accessibility. And, and he, he just nailed it. He completely nailed it. It obviously was a watershed because after Doctor Who screened, the journalist Faith Martin wrote that too often disabled people have been portrayed without any dimension of character, solely there to show misery or pain. Mm. How important is it to challenge this narrative with characters like Shirley Ann Bingham? It's a huge thing and it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. For, for too long, like Faith said, people who have been on screen with disabilities have been there to either be pitied or to be like a side story for a non-disabled storyline and it's a real moment to have a character who is incredibly capable you know bullshit borderline rude I kind of like that <laughs> about her. Hmm. and she's integral to that part of the story and, and of the organization of unit she is integral to that and I think that's what so many disabled people and actors have been waiting for for so long and it's something that I want to continue to make sure happens as I progress. You're listening to Snowcast with me, Jon Snow, and we'll be right back after this. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You were initially reluctant to become a spokesperson for disability when you came into acting. Do you feel more comfortable in this role now? Yeah, I do. I think I find the term role model quite daunting and a spokesperson. I find it really quite nerve wracking because I'm, I am an expert in my own disability, but I am not an expert in anyone else's. And I get things wrong and I don't know everything and I'm constantly learning. So I always want to make sure I'm saying the right thing and doing the right thing for my community. I think it's getting easier now because I accept I get things wrong. And if I do get things wrong, I hold my hands up and say so. But I think it's a really privileged position to be in, to be able to have that exposure and that profile to speak on such important issues that affect disabled people and I feel very lucky that people listen Mm. and take on board what is being said. But even in your lifetime public attitudes to disability have gone through something of a revolution but the journey is far from over yet. Absolutely. I'm an eternal optimist. I will always be the person who celebrates every little victory. And I think that's really important to do. I think it's a vital part of progress to be able to see how far we've come. I will always look at where we were last year and look how far we've come now. And I'll do the same next year. And I think it's a good thing to always take stock and take note of what's been done, but also wanting to build on it and not resting on what's been done, always pushing for more. Do you feel that the general public, that Mr and Mrs Average, now understand disability more than perhaps when you were born? I think so. I think there's definitely an improvement in understanding. I do think people sometimes still are quite fearful of it. Not fearful because they think it's scary. I think they're fearful in case they offend or they get things wrong. And so I think people are often a bit nervous to talk about it. And I always encourage talking about it. I think it's a powerful thing to ask when you don't know, because that's how we learn and we grow. Have we reached a point at which disability has its rightful place in wider society? In other words, the system government, the rest? No. (laughs) No, I mean, is it being taken seriously and is it getting the right proportion of facilities? No, I I think there's still so much that disabled people are fighting for that they were fighting for 20 years ago, like access to public transport. That is an absolute joke still for disabled people. Employment, all of those things, the right mobility equipment. There's still so much to be done. And 
I wish, I wish it was taken more seriously in those circles. But I think the work that people were, that we're all doing to highlight those issues is so important. And I think that's something that's vital is people speaking up and saying, you know what, this is not okay. This is not acceptable. It blows my mind that there are still certain bits of public transport that I can't access or buildings that I can't access in 2023. Give me an example. I mean, trains are an absolute nightmare. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, on a train from Manchester to London, where and I commute a lot for jobs, there are only three wheelchair spaces on an entire train, one of which is in first class. Oh, that's ridiculous. So three wheelchair users can go on a train. That's it. <laughs> and those wheelchair spaces are often taken by buggies and prams. And then, of course, you've got the assistance to get on trains is hit and miss at certain stations. If you're at the bigger stations, it's often easier. But if you live out in the middle of nowhere and you've got a small train station, like the one near me, our very, very local one, that's still not got a lift. It's downstairs. And that's crazy. It, just, it, it, re it really is. But we did a show called Then Barbara McAllen a couple of years ago, and that was about the disabled rights movement on trying to get it into Parliament to be recognised as illegal to discriminate against people with disabilities. And when we were filming that, the things that that group of disabled people were fighting for, I'm like, oh my goodness me, what's actually changed? I'm not 100% sure. Mm. There's definitely still a long journey to go. I think disabled people are, are often the last thought of still, especially by the, the government in Parliament, all of these different factors that affect disabled life so much i just wish that disabled people and the way that the world is shaped was more inclusive for us but i think the great thing about our community is that we are able to come together and voice when things are wrong and what needs to change and we are a pretty powerful unit should there be more disabled people in politics there should be disabled people in so many so many areas i think especially in politics there needs to be people included in those rooms who have a lived experience of it and know exactly how disability affects our lives and what we need to be able to function access into work access to be able to get to work you know, it's it's all very well and good saying, oh yes, we need more disabled people in work, but if if the infrastructure is not there to to make that possible and accessible, then it's never going to happen, and it's only going to be disabled people who suffer for that. If we're talking about the journey towards complete parity for disabled people, be they actors, be they anything else, mm -hmm. how far down the journey are we? I still think we're 20 years behind <laughs> um, with, with actors and writers and producers and directors definitely speaking more about these issues. I think that we are a lot further on than we were a decade ago. Of course we are. I am excited to see where we go in the next decade because I think, I think Jack Thorne's McTaggart lecture that he gave a couple of years ago, that was such a big moment because he really spoke about 
how the industry has let disabled people down for so long. And we're in such a privileged position to be able to be in everyone's living room every night as disabled people on screen. That That's a really powerful thing. And you have such power in showing the reality of disabled life through through storytelling. And that that is a wonderful thing. But for me, it doesn't just stop there. Disability representation should be behind the camera. And then on top of that, it should be, like you said, in politics, it should be in medicine, it should be in, in all areas of life. But disabled people need to have the access to get into those roles. And I think that I am an eternal optimist, but I'm also very impatient. So I want it all yesterday. <laughs> But and I, but I hope sincerely that that we have another chat in a year and we say, look at what we did in the past twelve months. We'll look at what we did, and then the same year on year. I mean, you've been brilliant in Doctor Who as an expert in the rightful place. But are there other roles you'd like to have a have a dabble at? <gasps> There's so many roles. You know something? I don't have particular. I mean, obviously. Hollywood is a big thing, not because there's a particular role that I want to play in Hollywood, but I think having disabled people lead big movies, you know, big budget things, that for me would be such a moment, obviously for me personally, yeah. but also for um, for disabled actors, because that it trickles down, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So if it's done right and it's done at the top of the tree... It filters down and I think it needs that big statement of, yes, disabled people can lead stories. They can lead big budget shows because disabled stories are often not given the same budget as other things. And I think to have that on the big screen, you know, worldwide would be such a massive thing. So, yeah, lead roles in big budget films, that would be exciting, John, but also... I I always get really excited by characters who I've never seen before. So if I've not seen it, I usually want to play it. And Mm -hmm. I just love working with writers. And if a character excites me, it doesn't matter if she's in it for for two pages or two episodes or two series. It doesn't matter to me. If I'm excited by the story and it's told well and there's somewhere to, to really go emotionally with it, that excites me. What can you tell me about the rapture and your next leading role? It's very exciting. I honestly cannot wait. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to lead a drama. This will be the first time I've led a series. We've got an incredible writer, Bryony Kimmings, and we've got great director on board. Such an exciting understanding of disability as well. But also, this story is going to be absolutely epic. It's a huge, huge thing. It's based on a book, and there'll be a lot of end of the world, conspiracy theory, climate change, excitement in there that I think people are really going to, really going to love. And it will be a really big challenge for me from an acting perspective. So I'm really excited about that. It's a big job. It is. Uh, Just tell us more about it. So I will be playing Gabrielle and she is at the centre of an incredible story with Bethany, who is a young girl who... Gabrielle ends up looking after in a psychiatric facility. 
the story has changed quite a bit. So I'm just going to give a basic. That's rather interesting. It, it sounds as if the writers may have learned something on their journey in writing it. Bryony is such an incredible writer and things often change depending on the budget. But it's, it's going to be a really interesting story between two female leads, Bethany and Gabrielle, and their interactions with the world. And also my character is coming to terms with her disability because hers is an acquired disability. So on top of all of the conspiracy theory, climate change, madness, you have you have that reality as well. I'm wondering about your career path. Is there more writing you want to do? Is there direction that you'd like to do? What's your ambition? You're still young. You know something, lockdown really helped with that because it gave me the time to actually think about what I want to write and who I want to work with. And I've had a very exciting 18 months writing my own things and getting things in development with some great streamers and broadcasters. It's an exciting time. When it's going well, it's exciting, John. When it's not going well and you've got writer's block, I'd quite like to throw my laptop out of the window sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's going well, it's great. <laughs> Let's hope you're earning enough to buy another. <laughs> yeah, here's to that. <laughs> I am very ambitious, so I, I want to write my own shows. I want to produce. I want. To, I don't think I want to direct. That's something that that's never really... I personally, as an actor, I love working with a director, but I like being the actor in that equation. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know whether I'd want to direct, but definitely writing and producing my own things and being able to create really unique and authentic stories for so many different people, but also make sure that disabled people have the opportunity to play roles that are irrelevant of disability you know if they're disabled great if they're not it doesn't make a difference to the story so yeah i i have i have a lot of plans john a lot <laughs> well i must say i i feel you are such an optimist and such a good and and pithy spokesperson for what you seek in terms of equality and you're a talented actress to boot so what's to complain well hey it's l plenty i know but nevertheless, it's been a joy to talk with you. Oh, it's been so lovely, John. Thank you. That was the actor, Ruth Maidley. You can find links to the Doctor Who anniversary specials and some of Ruth's other work in the episode description, as well as a link to my earlier interview with the screenwriter, Jack Thorne. I'm John Snow, and this is the last Snowcast of 2023, so I'd like to thank you very much for listening and to wish you festive holidays and a very happy new year. Goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.